All right, I'll hit record on this. <clears throat> I wanted to thank Jim for teaching last week. He sent me his handouts. I'm like, uh, he, he does way better than I do. So I'm like, man, I'm glad uh, that's a hard act to follow. So it was so good. I looked over it all this morning. But he taught on the millennium. And if, if, you, didn't, if you didn't get to hear that, uh, you may want to... I think we can go back and see the video as well, but there's the audio online. And uh, anyway, we'll probably hit a little bit of that today, but be turning to Jeremiah 33. And I put the wrong date on top of your handout. I put November 21st because I, I was planning on teaching this last weekend, and then I found out I had to work. And so I asked Jim to teach, but I didn't get the date changed. So. 21. 21. Yeah, 21 of 21 is when you taught. So yeah, we'll just uh, rehearse just a little bit. Jeremiah is our hero. He's the uh, human author of the book of Jeremiah. He was one of the, the major prophets. He prophesied in the year about 600 B.C. Uh, before Christ. And we're going to see today, he is in jail. He is in prison in the in the court of the king. And the Lord speaks to him while he's incarcerated. And he, he says some, some wonderful things. And I was just thinking, you know, the Apostle Paul, he wrote four of his letters from jail. So it's neat to see, I mean, I'll tell guys that are incarcerated that, you know, use your downtime wisely and kind of get tooled up for your time on the outside. And and I really feel like uh, part of what Moses was doing in his 40 years in the wilderness is he's writing the law. He's, he's wandering around for 38, 40 years, and uh, he's scri- he's. God's given him uh, what we call the Pentateuch, the, the five books, the first five books of our Bible. And so here we're seeing Jeremiah. He He's locked up, but the Lord comes to him the second time. So uh, somebody, can somebody read these first three verses for us of Jeremiah 33? Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. So before we talk about verse 3, it's kind of a famous verse. What is the it in verse 2 that we're talking about? I'll give away one of Jim's candy bars maybe. Oh, no, I didn't bring them. Oh, he didn't bring them. Okay. You'll get a virtual candy bar. What is the it? The Lord formed it and established it. The Lord is... His, so the Lord, what did the Lord form and establish here you think that he's talking about? It's kind of hard to see, really. Isn't he referring back to Genesis 2? Like the earth? That that was my first thought. I think it's the word, isn't it? Because in the first, in the first when it says more for the word of the Lord, and then... Well, I'm assuming, maybe I'm no, I didn't think about that. That that 
that's a good thought too. What I what I think it is uh, is in verse four. For thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city. I, I feel like it's talking about this city. It's talking about Jerusalem. Is what I thought it was. Uh, so that's what I had you put in your blank there. God is the maker of Jerusalem. He formed and established it. And uh, I I could be wrong about that. The, the, cro- the wording, like Pat said, I think probably he uh, formed and created the earth. So that that's not wrong, and, and the word's not wrong as well. Uh, I was just thinking in the context, it's more talking about the city. But uh, so this verse three, what has verse three sometimes been called? God's phone number. It is thirty-three three. That God's phone numbers. And uh, read read that again for us, if you would. Call unto me. <clears throat> Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou hast not. That, that's just a cool verse, isn't it? Yeah, heard that. Oh, really? You hadn't heard that? So, thirty-three-three. You, you dial it up, and God'll. You call unto Him, and He will answer you, and show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And that's uh, that's that's quite a statement, isn't it? Because. You know, does anybody know what Romans thir- uh, ten thirteen says? For whosoever, is it, I think it's ten thirteen. In yeah, what is it, Pat? For whosoever, whosoever shall call the name of the Lord shall be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the Lord, or the name of the Lord, shall be saved. And that that's what this is kind of saying is. Because all of us in here, I think, have called upon the name of the Lord. And hasn't he shown us all some mighty things that we didn't know? It's like, and he he continues to do that. And uh, I was really praying about what my teaching points should be on this one. And this is what I put. I said, God showed Jeremiah great and mighty things that he didn't know when he called upon the great and mighty God that he did know. So that was that was kind of what I thought kind of fit with this passage, and um, so th- this is just a great verse to show that we need to pray, don't we? And uh, all of us know Bobby Blaine here next door. She said, "Right now, she said I'm studying dangerous prayers," and uh, that's kind of intriguing. Yeah. And she goes, you know, I prayed a dangerous prayer once. I, I said, God, would you just take away... Uh, her husband's been passed for four or five years. But uh, when he was alive, he struggled with smoking. And she said, God, you just do whatever it takes to take away John's smoking. And uh, what, you know what it took? He, he had uh, open heart surgery. and He had a heart attack and, and he didn't smoke anymore after that. So she felt like God had to use that to take away his smoking. And so those are some maybe dangerous prayers. You know, God give me patience. Oh, there's a dangerous prayer. You know, uh, so anyway, uh, I don't know if there's any 
other thoughts about this, but th- that's what it's talking about. We, we, you know, as as we're reading and studying God's word this morning, we're, we're asking Him to speak to us, and and we speak to Him in prayer. That, that's what a relationship is, right? With it's a two way thing, and so He's He's. He's isolated from every human, but God's there with him, isn't he? He's he's shut up in this prison, but the word of the Lord came to him, and he he's telling Jeremiah, you know, pray to me, and and I will answer you, and he's going to show him things through prayer that he didn't know. So anyway, that's uh, God's phone number, and we need we need to be praying. Is there any other thoughts about prayer as we're talking about it? There's it's probably the most important thing we can do, but yeah, yeah. it's the most important. Uh huh. It's it's most important but most neglected. That's right up there with reading our Bible. So yeah, if we, if we would pray, it would it would uh, help us with temptation in our lives. It would uh, anyway if. When we when we completed discipleship, you know it's kind of customary. The person discipling you might give you. I mean, typically we might take our disciples out to eat, or we want to kind of leave them with something. But the people that discipled us, uh, I don't know if they they maybe just gave it to both of it. It was E. M. Bounds' book. Uh, there's a guy in the 1800s, I think. His name was E. M. Bounds, and he wrote a book on prayer, and it's just like you know these these saints of old. They were like, you know, God forbid, you know, the merchants be up selling their goods before I've spent an hour in prayer. They, they just like quotes from these old preachers that would pray, and uh, I forget which if it was Luther, or some of those guys like would spend four or five hours a day in prayer. It's like. You know, if, if you've ever spent an hour in prayer, that's kind of tough to do sometimes. But anyway, if you ever want a book on prayer that'll shame you out, <laughs> read E.M. Bounds' book on prayer. That's what our disciples left us with. So, uh, in verses 4 and 5... <clears throat> It says, For thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and concerning the houses of the kings of Judah, which are thrown down by the mounts and by the sword, they come to fight with the Chaldeans, but it is to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I have slain in mine anger and in my fury. For all those... For all whose wickedness I have hid my face from this city. And when it talks about the mounts in verse 4, it's like, you know, Babylon would maybe pile up dirt to the top of the walls so they could go over the walls. So that's so that's how they were invaded Jerusalem and they and they killed them by the sword and piled up the dead bodies. So that's what that's talking about. So Jeremiah's kind of seeing that. Uh, the Lord's telling him about it. And then in verses 6 and 8, 6 through 8, Behold, I will bring 
it by health and cure. I will cure them and will reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth. And I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return and will build them as at the first. And I will cleanse them from all their iniquity whereby they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquities whereby they have sinned and whereby they have transgressed against me. And uh, so anyway, these are prophecies about the healing of Jerusalem that will happen. So he just got done telling about the destruction. And now he's talking about the healing and the, the captivity of Israel will return. And that's what Jim talked about. Does anybody remember kind of another name for, for the millennium that he talked about? It was the, the day of the Lord that day, and uh, and some people call it the kingdom age. It's the the kingdom of heaven is going to be on earth, and so uh, that that's what this is a reference to. And God's going to forgive their iniquity. He's going to give them this new covenant, and uh, they will know the Lord. And you don't need to tell people to know the Lord because He's going to be there. He'll be present. So, anyway, he's going to cleanse them from their iniquity and their and all their iniquities. It's like their sin nature, sin and sins. He's going to cure. So, let's let's look at this second this second section here, starting in verse nine. Somebody read for us. Uh, I'll just read all the way nine through fourteen. It's a long section here. Pat Lee, you got that? And it shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and an honor before all the nations of the earth, which shall hear all the good that I do unto them. And they shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and for all the prosperity that I procure unto them. Thus saith the Lord, Again there shall be heard in this place, which ye say shall be desolate without man and without beast, even in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man and without inhabitant and without beast. The voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of them that shall say, Praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good. For his mercy endureth forever, and of them they shall bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. For I will cause to return the captivity of the land, as at the first, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, again in this place, which is desolate, without man, without beast, and all the cities thereof shall be in it. Uh, shall be an habitation of shepherds causing their flocks to lie down. In the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the the valley, uh, and in the cities of the south, and in the land of Benjamin, and in the palaces about Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, shall the flocks pass again under the hands of him that telleth them, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised unto the house of Israel and unto the house of Judah. Thank you, Pat. So in verse 9 there, it says, It it shall be to me a name. And that it, again, is what I think is Jerusalem. 
and uh, two or three times I mean in verse 9 it says they shall fear and tremble so that's what I had you put in your blank God's name the word name God's name is at Jerusalem and it causes men to tremble and I want us to trace this out a little bit I want you to see this from Deuteronomy his name is associated with a place and so let's follow these Deuteronomy verses if you will with me I'm going to put my marker here in Jeremiah so I can come back to it but let's all go to Deuteronomy 12 and I like I said, whenever I was reading through the Bible once, I just kept seeing this. And so I kind of wrote it down in Deuteronomy 12. And, and I'll read these so I can kind of highlight what I'm wanting us to see. Uh, Deuteronomy 12, verse 5. And then we're going to jump down to 11. But verse 5 says, But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there so there's a place so the Jews are getting ready to go into the promised land and he's telling Moses and Joshua there's a place that I'm going to put my name and look down at verse 11 then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there and uh, I, I was seeing, I think it's, it's this week, uh, I'm trying to think of the verse right now. <clears throat> the, sometimes the word dwell is also translated tabernacle. He'll tabernacle with us. And uh, so God's going to choose to put his name there. Look, look down at verse 21. Deuteronomy 12:21. If the place which the Lord thy God hath chosen to put his name there be too far from thee, then thou shalt kill of thy herd of thy flock which the Lord hath given thee, as I have commanded thee, and thou shalt eat in the gates whatsoever thy soul lusteth after. Now let's go to chapter 14.23. We keep seeing that there's a place where his name is going to dwell and that they're going to go to Deuteronomy 14.23 And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he hath chosen to place his name there. And of course, we're kind of building up. It's Jerusalem that he's talking about. Look at uh, verse 24. And if the way be too far for thee, so that thou are not able to carry it or if the place be too far from thee which the Lord thy God shall choose to set his name there when the Lord thy God hath blessed thee and uh, and, and it goes on with so, some of the same things now, now jump over to chapter 16 kind of the same thing Deuteronomy 16.2 Thou shalt therefore sacrifice the Passover unto the Lord thy God of the flock and the herd in the place which the Lord shall choose to place his name there. I don't know why I put verse 66, but I think it's in verse 11. 
where it says kind of the same thing. Yeah, at the end of verse 11, which the Lord thy God hath chosen to place his name there. So anyway, there's, there's lots of places... There's lots of verses that talk about there's a place where God chose to put his name and it, it's in Jerusalem and you know even even just physically if we could look at a, a world map kind of laid out Jerusalem is almost at the center of all earth's landmass and it's it's real close to the 33rd latitude and the 33rd longitude it, it's real it's uh, strategic. Some say Egypt. Is, some say the Great Pyramid is right at the center of the Earth's landmass, but Jerusalem's real close there. But anyway, uh, so he's got this place in Jerusalem. And even when uh, they were wandering in the wilderness, and I know Jim's brought this out before, and Pat, when they've taught that. Uh, you know when the tribes were to camp as they were wandering through the wilderness the tr- they had you know three tribes on the east three on the north three on the west and three on the south and in the center of that they would have the levites and the tabernacle so god always put his name and uh you know uh you know what we're reading in jeremiah they're going into captivity and uh, we can go back to Jeremiah now. But when they come out of captivity, what is the first thing they do in Jerusalem? What is the first thing Zerubbabel does when he brings people back from Babylon and puts them in Jerusalem? Yeah, they built the altar. They, they put the foundation of the temple. And they did that before they built the wall. And uh, and so you know that that's good. If, that's good for all of us to know. If we would establish God at the throne of our heart before we, you know, try to fix all the things that are wrong. Before we, and that that's where I got messed up, y'all. I thought if I didn't smoke and didn't carouse or didn't watch the wrong thing and listen to the wrong music. I would be accepted, but it really wasn't until you put God first. It's like the famous uh, Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you. And amen, yeah. So that's what God is telling his people. When you go into the promised land, look for that place to put my name and then build everything around that. And uh, that's what they did. That's what we need to do. And uh, it, it's uh, that that uh, I don't know that what one of my teachers used to talk about insulation versus isolation. He said if you if you put God at the first and you just build the right things into your life. It'll insulate you from the influence of the world. And I used to think, you know, I just need to be isolated and separate and don't do all these things where I I needed to be insulated instead of isolated. That was something I just thought of. So anyway, uh, thank you for reading all that, Pat. Back in 33.10, it talks about Jerusalem was going to be desolate. Jeremiah 33 
Yeah, it says right in the middle of the verse 10 about it being desolate. And there's really twice in history that Jerusalem was desolate. And once is here, once is what Jeremiah is talking about. And when do you think the other thing time was? I've got a blank for you. Who was the Roman emperor that uh, destroyed Jerusalem? Do we remember? In, no, not Nero. Uh, in 70 A.D. Well, Titus, but he was a general under Nero. Was he under Nero? Okay. So, yeah, Nero or Titus is who, what I was thinking. Because um, do, you, do you remember Jesus telling his disciples that there won't be one stone left upon another of this temple? And uh, and I've heard, I don't know if it was Josephus, that the historian that wrote uh, that Titus, when they came through, there was so much gold in the temple. When they, when they burned it, the gold kind of melted into the stones and they had to take every stone apart to try to get that gold. And his, his prophecy was literally fulfilled that there wouldn't be one stone upon another stone. They tore it all apart to get all that gold out. And uh, so anyway, it was it was desolated here in Jeremiah's time. It was desolate uh, around the 70 A.D. And uh, how many of you ever heard of Masada? It's yeah, most uh, half of us. Uh, Masada is a desert area near the where the Dead Sea Scrolls were, uh, and also near the Dead Sea. And it it's a it's a really a natural phenomenon. It's like a mountain with the top of it flat, about ten acres, ten or twelve acres. We most of us farmers around the farm we know about what ten acres. This church owns twenty acres, so about the half the size of our of our property is flat on top of this mountain. And so when Titus tried to come and take Rome and the Romans were encamping about Jerusalem, some of the Jews were able to flee from Jerusalem in about 68 A.D., 67 A.D., about three years before Jerusalem was destroyed. Some of the the Jews and leaders, they fled to Masada. And they built some aqueducts so that, and they they had reservoirs of water. Somehow they got aqueducts to fill water in basins up top of a mountain. It's really a fascinating thing. And so there there were nearly a thousand Jews that lived on this ten acre plateau, and it was just this. Uh, it was, and uh, so the Jews had to build. It took him several years to kill those last thousand Jews that were on top of the mountain. And when they finally got broken through, there's a movie about it. I, I couldn't find it, but it's called Masada. And uh, and it's, we actually visited there two years ago today. Uh, I think, it, well, this week, two years ago, Luke and I were there with a group of about 80-some Americans. And uh, and they told the story, but the night before the Romans captured them, the uh, Jews more or less 
kill themselves. They they wanted to die free, and I, I think some of the husbands had to kill his own family, and uh, it was just a brutal thing. But but to this day, uh, and Kyle, you'll be interested in this. The Israeli special forces are called the Mossad. It's after Masada, uh, after this story, and uh, our 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 tour leader said that they they take the Israeli special forces up to the top of Masada, and that's where they graduate them. They graduate them to this day. Their group of special forces, because they and and there's some little sentence that they say about. You know, it's better to die free than to live a servant or something like that. It's anyway. It's really it was really a powerful thing, and that was one of the highlights of of our trip to see that. And uh, Herod the Great actually built a temple up there. So it, it it's funny the the Gentiles and Herod they built this whole Masada thing. But these Jews that were fleeing from Jerusalem captured it from all the Gentiles and uh, they took over and they lived up there. It took two or three years before the the Roman army could build a bulwark up the backside and and actually get over the wall and they thought they were going to go in there and fight the remaining but they were all dead time uh, the day before. Anyway, that's a little side story. But uh, seeing this Titus of Rome, it, it kind of connects with the story of the Bible and the temple and and uh, some some good history. So uh, in verse fourteen, it talks about the days to come. The Pat read thirty three fourteen. I think that it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord. I think that's a reference to the tribulation period. So when, when you see those those days or that day or the days come and God will make good on His promises. And my teaching point here is that God had placed His name, I meant, I meant to say has placed His name within us now. Uh, may we not take it in vain. The word vain. So, uh, and vain just means empty. You know, when we when we when we take when we talk about you shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain. We think you shouldn't cuss and use God or Jesus to damn something, and and that. That is maybe the the most obvious truth about it, but but also uh, you know uh, Sarah here, Sarah Lewis, not this Sarah. I mean, she she gave her testimony Friday night, and it was wonderful. And she remembered with tears how Pam Pam Jackson had led her to Christ six or eight years ago. And uh, that that night she got saved. And I remember we were in the South Trailer over here. She took the name of the Lord. She became a Christian, right? Uh, I mean, it's, it's like when when I get married, Angie took my name. Her, her maiden name was Fowler. She's no longer Angie Fowler. She's Angie Flight. She took my name. 
and uh, you know, God forbid she would take my name in vain. And and Sarah went through some rough years where, in a way, you did take the Lord's name in vain. He and and maybe we've all we've all shamed the Lord. But now she's realizing, and, and hopefully all of us realize that that's a high name to have. You're, you're a child of God. I am. I'm a. You're a princess. I'm a prince. We're we're children of the Lord, and we shouldn't take that in an empty way to where it it means nothing. So, anyway, I th- that's what I connected this passage with: a place that God puts His name, and then He. And it's interesting; it's the third commandment: "Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain." And when I, I just think it's interesting. It's the third, not to, not to take the Lord's name in vain, because it, it makes me think of the Trinity. Is uh, and, and you know even. Even when we baptize people, it says, I now baptize thee in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We, we, we say name singular because it's a trinity. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So anyway, uh, a lot of things about the name and that place. And any, any other thoughts? Or we better get on so we can get through it, but... Anyway, uh, this next section, 15 and 16. Uh, Jim, would you read that for us, 15 and 16? Yep. Uh, all right. In those days and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith she shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. Yeah. Uh, l- let's all turn here real quick. Second Corinthians five, twenty-one. This thing about righteousness. Uh, it's called. It, this is a prophetical thing, calling Jesus the branch of righteousness. And uh, who wants to read that Second Corinthians five twenty one for us? <coughs> he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So, uh, say, say it one more time, honey. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Yeah. So this is all about this great exchange. God made him. Him, Christ, to be sin for us, that we might become or be the righteousness of God in Him. And so, you know, we don't we don't think about righteousness a lot, but you know, we uh, if you've ever been in a courtroom and you've seen justice serve, it's it's a powerful thing. I was telling our kids we uh, uh, about. Uh, a, a, a courtroom that I sat in, and, and and the guy got five years, and it was just—it's like uh, you hear the prosecutor, you hear the defense, but the judge is just okay. Here's what you did. Here's the law. Boom, you're guilty. And it was a five-year sentence against this particular thing. And it, anyway, just. Uh, I mean, we we all think we want justice. 
except when it comes to us, right? When it comes to us, we want mercy. <laughs> but hopefully we do. And the way you think of righteousness, I had a preacher explain it this way. You know, if we think of a clock, a clock turns clockwise. And, but if you think of it in, if you think about God, he, he always works right wise. In other words, his ways are always true, they're always just, they're always right. And uh, so that, that's how I think of righteous or righteousness is just always doing right. And uh, anyway, that's just a little definition of righteousness that, that I like. And um, anyway, that, that was my teaching point at the bottom of your first page of your handout. We have been made the righteousness of God in Him. And so we we have every opportunity to do right with the Lord inside of us. And we 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 call upon him, we tap into his righteousness and not our own cuz Jeremiah 64 says that all our righteousness is as filthy rags. And uh Anyway, all right, Jeremiah 33 17 and 18. It don't sound like much, but I, I kind of made a big deal out of this part. The 17 and 18. Uh, Brother Emmett, you want to read that for us? Back in Jeremiah. For thus says the Lord, David shall never want a man to set upon the throne of the house of Israel. Neither shall the priests, the Levites, want a man before me to offer burnt offerings and to candle meat offerings and to do sacrifice continually. Yeah, now I uh, kind of highlighted David here in this section and uh, Jim kind of highlighted this last week. I think you had uh, you might not have had the Davidic covenant on there. I, you were focused on dispensation. Yeah, I skipped that uh, so yeah, there's there's pretty much seven primary dispensations, but there's like nine or so covenants, and this is a reference to the the Davidic or the David covenant, and basically it states that uh, you know David says he was a man after God's own heart. Uh, what does that mean that he'll never want for a man to sit upon his, the throne of the house of Israel? What does that mean? There'll always be one. There'll always be one. That's a good way to say it. Right. That's exactly right. And so that's a covenant that God made with David. And it was uh, kind of fulfilled through Solomon. Solomon was his son. And I gave you a few things on your handout to consider about the genealogy of the Lord. He is called the seed of David through Mary. And I'm going to erase this real quick. This is kind of interesting if you've never seen it. 
But, uh, of course, uh, Abraham was the first Jew. And uh, through his genealogy, uh, I I think Jim's pointed this out, but one of Abraham's forefathers was called uh, Eber, and a couple places it was called Heber, like H-E-B-E-R. But his, his forefathers is where we get the name Hebrew from, Eber or Heber is Hebrew. So the uh, and then the word Jews come from Judah or Jerusalem, and then Israel is is through Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So Hebrews, Jews, and Israel are all kind of the same name for these for the people. But uh, so David had the son Solomon, and uh, it was a few generations. No, I'm saying this wrong. He also had a son, and I think this is so cool. He also had a son named Nathan. And uh, you guys remember when, when David committed adultery with Bathsheba, uh, they had a son that died, and then Bathsheba had a son named Solomon. But the prophet that, that says thou art the man, the, pro- the prophet that says, David, you stole another man's wife. Uh, do you remember what the, that prophet's name was? It was Nathan. And so I, I believe that David named his one of his sons Nathan after the prophet Nathan. So two different Nathans, but same name. But anyway, it was... Uh, through that genealogy was uh, Mary. We're coming up on the Christmas season, and uh, it was through Solomon's genealogy, uh, Joseph, the husband of Mary, and uh, of course she was uh, conceived of the Holy Ghost. And had the boy Jesus. And uh, does anybody know what G- the word Jesus means? Yeah. Uh, the, the angel told Mary, to, or told Joseph, to name Mary's baby Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And so it means Savior. So the, the name Jesus means Savior. <clears throat> And so anyway, uh, that's kind of what this little, I put some things here. Jesus is called the seed of David. He's through Mary, but, but this is the kingly line. So he has, Jesus has rights to the throne. So the Davidic covenant is proving true that you'll, you'll never want for a man to sit on the throne. So the, uh, by Jesus being king king of the Jews, it fulfills the Davidic covenant, and uh, he's also called the seed of of David through Mary. He's called the son of David, and he's also called the root of David a couple times because he was uh, he's God. He's before David. So anyway, here here's just some things about David, and uh, I'll just show you. And uh, I'll give this to somebody if they want. 
But I, I've got a, a list of over a hundred ways that Jesus and David are similar, and so I put like seven of them on your on your handout. So I got a, like a four-page document uh, that I've done in times past where uh, 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 Jesus and, and David. Uh, David is a type of Christ, and I gave you a few of them there in that little chart on your handout. Uh, David was 30 years old when he began to be the king. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his earthly ministry. David was king of Israel. Jesus is king of the Jews. David was from Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is called the city of David. Uh, David marries a Gentile bride, Abigail, in the Bible. And uh, Jesus is a spouse to a Gentile bride. Uh, We're called the bride of Christ. David is called God's anointed, and Jesus is called God's anointed. That's what the word Christ means, is anointed. Uh, David was accused of being of Belial. It's an Old Testament name for Satan. Uh, Jesus, of course, was accused of uh, his power coming from Beelzebub. I put that Saul, the son of Kish, persecuted David, and Saul of Tarsus persecuted Jesus. David reigns again in the millennium. That's kind of what we're talking about here. And Jesus has a throne in the millennium. And uh, does anybody know kind of who was Jesus' beloved disciple? It was John. And didn't didn't King David, wasn't his friend Jonathan? So it's just kind of cool how some of that... Uh, anyway, lots of little things. Uh, I gave you a blank there at the top of your back page. Uh, the word Judah goes in your blank. Both Jesus and David were of the tribe of Judah. I thought we might read this Davidic covenant. Let's all go to the... I tried to talk before I swallowed. Second Samuel. Let's all go to the Second Samuel for a minute. We're talking about this Davidic covenant. Second Samuel. Chapter 7. And uh, I'll start in verse 12. I may want to comment on this. I'll read this. 2 Samuel 7 12 says, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is directly talking about Solomon. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, and with the stripes of the children of men. That that, that could be a reference to uh, Babylon here, even with... Jeremiah, but verse 15, But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put before thee, 
and thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. And uh, verse 17 also, according to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. So that's the prophet Nathan there. So yeah, verse 16 is, is kind of the clincher. And it says it several times in our Bible. But David's kingdom, his throne is going to be established forever. And uh, and of course that's what happens uh, with Jesus into the, uh, in the millennium and into eternity. And so anyway, uh, my teaching point there is David wanted to build a house for God, but God built a house for David. Yeah, that's kind of cool, isn't it? <clears throat> So David desired to build, but uh, Solomon ended up building it. And it was really kind of neat because David, he, he got a lot of the materials together and he worked with uh, his friend Hiram. And anyway, they, they got everything together, but Solomon built it and it, it took about seven years. Okay. Thoughts or questions? Am I boring anybody? It's kind of good stuff, isn't it? Good. <clears throat> let's let's go back to Jeremiah, and, and we won't read this last section. It's kind of long, but God compares this covenant with with the daytime and nighttime. So, back in Jeremiah thirty three. <clears throat> How about somebody read 19, 20, and 21? Who hasn't read? Shannon, you got it? Yep. And the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, If ye can break my covenant of the day and my covenant of the night, and that there should not be day and night in season, then may also my covenant be broken with David my servant, that he should not have a son to reign upon his throne, and the Levites the yeah, and uh, Jim touched on this a little bit last week. So, I mean, we've already talked about the covenant with David, and, and God is emphasizing as long as there's day and night, my covenant's going to remain. But it even mentions that at the end of verse 21, the priests and ministers and the Levites. So, so somehow in the millennium, God is going to institute temple worship again. And I think there may even be sacrifices, but it, it's kind of wild to think about that still happening today in our lives. About, uh, But anyway, uh, Ezekiel talks about a millennial temple being built. And uh, Jim could tell you more probably. Jim actually subscribes to the Jerusalem Post. He, he reads a lot. And... Uh, but I read an article. Um, uh, some of you have heard of the red heifer, and somehow the Jews have to have a pure red heifer. There, there can't be one white hair on, on this heifer. So they breed some of their animals, uh, and I think up till now there's been 
uh, nine red heifers. I think we're kind of waiting for Israel to have this tenth red heifer, and I think it has to be killed in the third year, and it has to be burnt, and they have to use the ashes to anoint priests. So it's quite a process, but but uh, the Jews are uh, this this happened in about a year ago. They're doing studies to see how hot a fire would have to be to completely consume and burn up uh, this this red heifer. And so they they actually uh, built and they they list out the logs and the type of lumber and how many logs and how big the fire is and how long it has to burn to burn up the body of this red heifer. <clears throat> so uh, I mean that that sounds kind of weird to us, but they're being real scientific about it. It has to be at like six thousand degrees for one and a half hours to completely consume I mean I'm just I'm throwing out numbers there I don't know the temperature or the time but but anyway there's an article that that they uh, and uh, uh, to my knowledge I think it was this last year the Jews actually got permission to sacrifice an animal on the temple mount but because of COVID they didn't do it so they they actually have permission to sacrifice an animal, and um, you know there's articles about the red heifer and is the one that they have now going to be that tenth red heifer and so a lot of this is, so the Jews are really gearing up and uh, when Luke and I were there and and I could show you a picture on my phone the Jews they they have what they call the Temple Institute. And uh, they've got a little walkthrough, and you cannot take pictures or record anything in there. And they're they're adamant about it. I don't know if they could arrest you, but they would kick you out for sure. And uh, but they've made the menorah. There's a seven prong candlestick, and it's got like one inch thick plexiglass around it. So me and Luke stood beside. Uh, it's like a seven foot tall menorah. This seven-pronged candlestick, it's made of pure gold. It's a beaten work. It's all one piece, and it's there right now. Uh, they they did not show us, and we don't know quite where the Ark of the Covenant is. But anyway, all this stuff is just fascinating, and this this menorah is just kind of out in a courtyard. I'm sure it's guarded and cameras on and everything, but you can take your picture beside it. It's enclosed in glass. And anyway, uh, the Temple Institute—they're making garments for the priests. And so, some way, this is all going to take place in the in the millennium. <clears throat> and uh, my my blank for you. Your last blank is the word priesthood. It's. Uh, Because uh, the Bible says that we are kings and priests. And so just like there's a promise of this continual throne, a continual priesthood. And uh, I think I'll just finish up with my teaching point here. 
Just as as surely as the sun and moon govern the day and the night, so Israel will govern the nations. And so these are these are prophecies, and uh, that's what some of the last of chapter thirty three is about. And uh, anyway, uh, things are really heating up in the story of Jeremiah. He's in prison. <clears throat> And they're getting ready to be uh, taken into captivity, the last of them. So lots of stuff is getting ready to happen. So tune in next time. Same bat channel, same bat time. That was back when Adam West was Batman. I forget who Robin was, but anyway, uh, this is this is exciting stuff. And hopefully, uh, I mean, just reading through it, it. Uh, but hopefully I'm highlighting some things that kind of whet your appetite and help us to understand our Bibles, help us to understand history. And uh, any, any other questions or prayer requests before we dismiss today? I am uh, glad Sarah and Kyle are here. They, they go to church in Manhattan, Kansas. And uh, Kyle's getting ready to re-enlist for six more years. He... He's going to sign the paper tomorrow, is that right? Yep. So he's already been in how many, six? Almost seven now. Almost seven years. and Wow. So uh, he's going to change his MOS, I think, and do a little different type of work. But he's signing up for six more years, so tomorrow. But anyway, we're glad you, you guys can be here and bring your kids. And we got a lot to be thankful for this Thanksgiving season, so... Uh, keep keep our team in prayer. Uh, our son's one of the the five people that are in uh, in the air right now, going to Mexico. Uh, Jody and Mitch Newland and uh, Mickey Fox and uh, Caleb Larkham and uh, Luke Fleischman. So th- those are five team. Uh, t- to graduate HBI, you need to go on an international mission trip and. So uh, Chris actually fulfilled that, uh, Chris Cohen, when he went to Boston and he led that trip. Uh, we considered that an international trip uh, for him. He, he's not able to travel outside the U.S. But anyway, Luke, Luke uh, this Israel didn't really count for him, but uh, this, this one is. So anyway, our missionary there is Joe Hendrigsman, and his wife Amy, I think, is out of town. Uh, Amy's parents are missionaries in Africa. And she's actually with her parents right now. Her mother just passed away. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Amy's mom died, and so she's with her dad in Africa. Yeah. That's right. Thank you. Well, let's uh, let's bow in prayer, and uh, we'll go out to the main service. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads and hearts. We thank you for your word, and Lord, we just. Uh, kind of wowed by it uh, still Lord even even things we know we're just being reminded and we uh, believe we're in the last days but uh, Lord we know even if you don't come in our lifetime you, you are coming again and we believe that we uh, trust you as our Lord and Savior we just uh, devote ourselves to you we devote our family our, our, our finances our future and uh, Lord, uh, thank you for this class. We pray your blessing on our upcoming uh, Christmas party and just uh, pray all that we do is uh, honoring and uh, brings you glory. And we just um, 
love you and praise you and be, be with uh, Pastor Brian be with our our team that's in the air I pray you'll keep them safe and bring them back to us and Lord use them while they're there I pray you'll give each of them the right words to say to the uh, Mexican people down there in Oaxaca and uh, Lord we just uh, want uh, your best for them and, and Joe and the mission there so uh, dismiss us now with your blessing in Jesus name Amen Yes.